that we have begun through the past three years. There has been great progress in turning around law enforcement bodies. Critical leadership positions have been filled with capable, experienced and trustworthy professionals. There is improved cooperation and sharing of resources between the respective law enforcement agencies enabling more. Long live President Ramaphosa, long live! Yes, indeed, and that uh, was uh, Sona 2021. Uh, I must confess I've um, been to Sona for more decades than I can probably remember. And uh, this evening, of a detailed one, uh, President Sora Maposa referring to f the, re the resilience and the durability of Feinbos, saying that um, scarred but not consumed, the reins of democracy refresh us and we rise again. We're going to take a quick break and after this we're going to be chatting to our special guests about uh, Sona 2021. My money kennis is nogal crazy about the Indomie noodles. According to Hala, is that quick and easy. And lekker nice and tasty. Available at stores such as Devlin Epping, Devlin Mitchell's Plain, Devlin Powell, Elite Cash and Curry, MA Power Trade, Giant Hyper, and Alibaba Foods. As the festive season approaches, Spice Maker will once again tantalize your taste buds. From our Cook Easy range to our exotic spices, you can enjoy exciting breakfasts with our waffle and pancake mixes, scrumptious lunches and dinners with our unique spices, and have rip-roaring brides with our awesome seasonings. Let Spice Maker make this festive season just that more special. Visit our website at spicemaker.co.za. Happy Holidays! Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Voice of the Cape indeed, and welcome back to our special Sona edition on Drive Time. We've been in the trenches since 4 o'clock uh, this afternoon. Yes, indeed, President Sora Maposa has uh, addressed the nation, Sona 2021. Uh, he used the allusion of Feinbos. He talked about the durability and resilience of the Feinbos uh, plant kingdom. Uh, it gets scarred by fires, but it doesn't get consumed. And he used the allegory, the reins of democracy refresh us and we rise again. He also said... Um, COVID-19, we have in the main stood together in the true character of our nation. And he started off by saying, this is a year for change and rebirth. No ordinary year, no ordinary sonar. Is it? Well, online to help us, uh, we've got uh, Dr. Paul Kariyuki, Executive Director uh, from, the, uh, from the DDP, uh, UKZN, University of KwaZulu-Natal, and the DDP is the Director of Democracy Development Programme, and Angela Fick, Director of Research at ASRI, will be joining us in a couple of minutes. Dr. Paul Kariyuki, welcome to the special edition of Drive Time. Thank you so much, Shafiq, for having me on the show, and good evening to all your listeners. 
Indeed. Uh, and of course, um, I'm trying to absorb um, everything that was in this particular sona. Um, it's been many a year since I've seen so many details. Um, although the president said he had four overriding priorities, defeating the pandemic, economic recovery, economic reforms, jobs, inclusive growth, etc., and the fact we must fight corruption. Sort of straight off the bat, your overall impression of what we've just been through. Well, I think, um, uh, like we had that conversation on Wednesday on the show again, mm. um, uh, it was in my view that it would have done well uh, to start firstly with a report back of what uh, he had promised to do in the last year's SONA. And he did exactly that. So from that point of view, I gave him a mark there because that's what all of us as a citizenry we were expecting to know uh, and to hear what progress has been made since the last uh, list of, of promises. And uh, he did so uh, in some of those that he picked to share with the nation. Uh, and, and, and of course, to give some progress that has been made. Uh, and so from that place, it was a bit affirming to see that uh, seriousness, not just political rhetoric, that uh, uh, has featured many other uh, state of the nation addresses, full of promises, but very, very little implementation and results to, to share. That's one part. The other part, I think also, uh, to be fair, is an acknowledgement of where shortcomings have come through since the pandemic hit us last year, March, and acknowledgement, of course, of the mistakes that have been conducted, uh, have been um, done either by government directly or through its agencies. And of course, that's the big one is corruption uh, that has really beleaguered the management of the pandemic, and especially where it involves um, uh, the PPEs and other COVID-related funding resources that were pilfered and continue to hamper the, you know, the process of making this uh, administration of, uh, of the pandemic more manageable and more um, citizen-centered in the sense that there is consciousness towards the many lives that have been lost so far. And, um, yeah, the, the sentiment around um, holding those uh, who have perpetrated these levels of, of malfeasance accountable, uh, that was a pleasing statement. Now, of course, it remains what remains is the taking of action, um, because we've had this kind of uh, promises before. We've had kind of uh, serious talk around holding people accountable from uh, all kinds of ills, but we haven't very seen so much of action taken to them to the level of saying that uh, uh, there is uh, seriousness in getting uh, those who have pilfered resources actually returning them and being held uh, to account for other perhaps that are connected to their to their misdemeanor. So that, that's a big, uh, big area still that leaves uh, um, one in one's mind as a gray zone, but um, giving him benefit of doubt, saying that the SIU has been given permission to go ahead and proceed with its work, and hopefully we shall see some of those things that have been caught, uh, uh, have been reported in the public, uh, being, you know, finally now taken action about. Um, in terms of the plans for this year, um, I appreciate that the list is not long uh, compared to other state of the nation addresses where we get lost in the details. Mm -hmm. At least now we have been reduced to four priority areas, as you've mentioned, and I think those are easy to track. 
uh, I think one of the uh, one of the fatigues uh, we have had as a citizenry is, uh, you know, there's so many things that are promised to be done in one year that we kind of get lost uh, in the minister of the year what was actually promised. Actually, now I think it's important that the public will remember the fall because this fall should they must appear in the next uh, conversation with the nation in terms of progress made. And um, uh, the details were, uh, the president went into great detail to uh, unpack what each of these four priority areas will look like. And again, the question is the implementation question. How fast will we see um, clear and visible change uh, around the areas of, you know, COVID mitigation, including vaccination and the program that he promised? In terms of economic recovery, we we had uh, there's uh, quite massive reforms uh, underway in restructuring the economy so that it can create jobs and provide a recovery of sectors and industries. Um, we want to see the increase in investments, and of course, there's some examples that he has given that the private sector has come on board and pledged and provided support. Again, we want to see speedy action, and of course, the fight against corruption. Um, yeah, so, so, so those are easier to track because they can remain in people's mind and they can be easily be monitored. Compared to the previous years, we've had long lists of things to be done. Some of them remain, you know, in the atmosphere. Nobody knows what and 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 how they're going to be implemented because they're not even easy to um, to process for an ordinary citizen. I think uh, on that basis, uh, there has been um, a, a rethink of how best to present uh, a, a near hope building kind of a address. But of course, I really have to underscore this. It remains implementation. That is a big question. Right. The proverbial question, if you just tuned in, it's our post-sonar analysis on the special edition of Drive Time. Our special guest, Dr. Paul Kariuki, Executive Director um, of the uh, Democracy and Development Program at University of KwaZulu-Natal. And now joining on us, us online is Angela Fick, Director of Research at ASRO. Angela, welcome. Salam alaikum to you and to all of your listeners and to Dr. Karayupi. Yeah, welcome salam to you as well. Um, we, we started off before you came on air about talking about the four pillars that uh, President Ramaphosa mentioned, defeating the pandemic, economic recovery, economic reforms, and the fact that we have to fight corruption and strengthen a weakened state. Uh, what is your overall impression of what appeared to me as a journalist to be a fairly well-structured uh, sona, but of course, I mean, the real debate is in the meat. Yes, and I agree with uh, your previous guest that it's not necessarily the what. We have had year on year the what. And year on year we have had failures in the how. And the crucial question is how this will be implemented, how successfully, and with what level of accountability, transparency, and oversight uh, that will prevent the very same kind of thing happening in all of these projects that are supposed to begin this year that we saw in the PPE scandal last year and that we are anticipating um, in a variety of other spaces uh, to make the Zondo Commission work last even longer. So it is about whether or not corruption will seep in and whether or not the president is able to keep his government and its accountability to South Africa free of the internal torsions of the party that has sent him and his peers to Parliament and its internal ructions. And that, that I think, is where the big test will lie. 
And of course, Dr. Paul Kariuki, um, the uh, Sona address was straight down the middle politically, I think. Uh, I don't know whether you'll agree with me. Um, there was no party politing, uh, party politing about it. Um, what do you think in terms of that, that it was at least straight down the middle? There was no point scoring uh, in that particular sense. Um, in a very, very powerful way, presented in a way that um, um, he tried as much as possible to politicize the, 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 the speech and really focus on the issues that I'm sure his advisors would have told him. These are actually the core issues in the hearts of many South Africans at this point in time. And for that also, I think it was, that, was a, that was impressive because really right now what we need in the country is not more politics. What we need now is hope, and we need to see action in addressing the things that are really, really hard-pressing the country in every level you think about. Um, And so for me, that was a powerful, uh, you know, a powerful lift out of his speech in that sense. And then the other point also to underscore that that really made an impression is uh, the focus on professionalizing local government. The sphere that is closest to people, where there has been beleaguered with poor service delivery for ages, and it seems like it was not going to be turning around the corner. Now, finally, there is a pronouncement that there will be professional professionalization of that of that sector, and hiring of uh, competent personnel, which is something that is well documented in many ways in the country, in research and other publications. That one of the main obstacles that really hinders effective local governance in the country. It's poor skills in the, in the local government sphere. And now, again, it's a question of implementation and how fast he will balance the political imperatives, uh, as we know that it's a heavily contested, contested state, but at the same time, you know, be firm with the decision that he has made that he is really serious about turning around the local government. I think that would be a serious uh, thing to see him do. And if he does that, he will win the hearts of many people who are kind of disillusioned by the local government at this point in time in the country, which is very documented in many ways that uh, um, citizens trust in that sphere in terms of its efficiency and in terms of fulfilling its mandate has gone at all-time low. So I think the intent is clear. The intent is visionary but the details on how to make it work, there still lacks. And I think that's what we're going to be watching. Absolutely. And uh, Angela Fick, um, something that just sort of popped off the page uh, when, when I was looking at uh, all the words, a national school of government. I know that uh, Dr. Mahathir Mohammed in Malaysia was very strong on this particular I, uh, idea. And I know in Malaysia they've got uh, universities where you can go and study local governance. How significant is this statement to you? Well, I think part of my concern with the speech, and this also follows on from some of the remarks we've had so far, is that this is the right kind of rhetoric that we, until we hear from the governing party that it is abandoning CADA deployment uh-huh. as its central policy, having a you know pronouncement about professionalizing local government makes no sense if at both local and provincial level it is party structures and party imperatives that determine 
some of the appointments and some of the advancements. And so the very problems that have hampered local government has been precisely because, despite the attempts of well-intentioned local officials to try and professionalise, it is the party's cadre deployment system that has often stymied that process. And we've seen this, and until the president is able to tell us as president of the African National Congress, that the party is abandoning cadre deployment. President of the Republic of South Africa making pronouncements about the professionalization of public service will not necessarily have the same kind of value because as the Deputy Secretary General reminded us today in her statements um, on social media, that, you know, parties are elected to parliament based on their manifestos and platforms. And until cadre deployment disappears out of kind of manifesto and policy platforms of the governing party, it's not it's going to be the tension between what is desired and what is actually practiced. As for the learning of the local government practice, there have been university departments in this country that have taught that very same thing and have given people degrees in those particular fields. But again, until you get rid of the deployment, they may not necessarily be hired. And as people in local municipalities in places like the Eastern Cape will tell you, regardless of how many courses you attend, if the system on the ground is run by local apparatchiks and you are not able to do what you need to do to keep up, you end up having to rein yourself in or resign because you know what the Public Finance Management Act and the Municipal Finance Management Act requires of you, but the party strictures are such that you can't do it. And that, I think, is part of how corruption has happened, not just at the larger and bigger level, but at the lower level. And really, if the president is going to fight corruption, he really does have to begin in his own office, Mm -hmm. because members of his own staff stand accused in the public domain of malfeasance. And he has been very strangely awkward in dealing with that issue. People are on extended leaves of absences. Uh, members of his own cabinet have been implicated. Uh, you know, if the cleanup is to begin, it cannot only begin at local government level, and it cannot only begin inside existing government structures. Uh, Dr. Kariuki, I'm sure you agree with every word that Angela Fick has said in terms of, of cadre deployment. Do you think that um, in trying to get a more efficient public service, more efficient uh, governance, particularly at local levels, that this is the nut, this is the hard nut that we have to crack, cater deployment, because all of us uh, will have anecdotal examples of the disastrous nature of cater deployment and how it has such negative repercussions for South Africans. Certainly, I do agree with Angelo's comments there. Um, we, we, local government is just because it's the most visible sector closest to the people. Surely it should be starting at the top uh, in terms of cleaning up uh, even from his own office. And uh, it's, um, it's something that um, we will have to be very careful about in terms of how he goes. As I said earlier, it's a balancing act between the political imperatives of the party as, is, as the party president and the head of the executive as the president of the country. And so managing the tension between the two will be a very tricky uh, situation for him that he must really now fulfill. He has pronounced it. Now he'll be held accountable if he doesn't do that. And so then he has to trade off uh, either, uh, you know, uh, the privileges of of enjoying political support to support these four big pillars that he has mentioned and other things, or face a continuous factional uh, fight that continue to hinder his progress and maybe even frustrate the changes that he would like to bring on, on board. Having said so, for, for, for us to see a very 
effective public sector that is professional in, in the way it's, it does its work, there has to, first of all, be a philosophy of change of mind that is able to demonstrate behavior and attitudinal change in every aspect. It is unacceptable that any time ordinary citizen thinks about going to a public office for any service, they are traumatized. Yes. Either mm. because they're going to not receive the service they're going to be, uh, to, 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 they're looking for, or they'll be ill-treated, or they will stand in long queues and end up going home back home without being served, all kinds of things. It's not a joy to walk into a government office or even to a municipal office for most citizens, and that is also well documented. So I'm saying to demonstrate professionalism, it has to first of all be underpinned by demonstrable behavioral and attitudinal change by public officials. And if the National School of Governance can do anything powerful in this year and the years to come, that's the first place to begin with. Let's not fix the technical stuff before we fix the attitude and the behavior of public officials. No, absolutely. If you've just tuned in, it's our post-SONA analysis, State of the Nation address. President Sora Maposa finished uh, some time ago. Our special guest in studio with us until 9 o'clock, Dr. Paul Kariuki, Executive Director of Democracy Development Program at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, and Angela Fick, Director of Research at ASRI. Angela, something interesting comes out, and I'm going to sort of try some some ends together, and I, I want to hear what you make of it. The president spoke a lot about localization of our, our industries, what's left of them. Um, he said the government had had identified 42 products by local. We have to make ourselves globally competitive, and then there's sort of a link to the African Free Trade Continental Trade Area making South Africa a platform for South African businesses, us being a gateway to the continent. Is that pie in the sky? Is that a dream? Do you think that's an achievable goal? Well, I think, firstly, it's not particularly new. Those of us who lived through the Mbeki presidency will remember that much of this stuff was also part of South Africa's new relationship with Africa. The intellectual notion of reimagining and rebonding with the continent, but actually the way in which if you now travel across other African cities, you see the billboards and advertisements of South African started corporations quite prominent across the continent. Now, that's one issue. The second issue is whether or not the areas and products that the president mentioned are necessarily in line with the idea that the South African economy has to move beyond an extractive economy and whether manufacturing will be expanded or whether this will simply be the export of agricultural and raw materials rather than manufactured goods inside the country. Um, So for this period, as he indicated, yes, Mr. Mappo says, correct, global supply chains have been interrupted. But once we go past this particular crisis, those global uh, supply chains are ever ready to reassert themselves and they are skewed in terms of power towards the global north and places like China. So let us not forget that the South African clothing industry, which is what the president invoked when he spoke about his own clothing tonight, was gutted in the 1990s. Uh, particularly in places like Cape Town, Port Elizabeth and Durban, uh, which made, you know, several scores of thousands of women and men uh, unemployed because South African 
uh, government allowed cheap imports um, to flood the market, which undercut the kind of manufacturing sector which had been quite active in South Africa and employed thousands of people. In fact, entire media empires were built on the pension funds of people who worked in that industry. And so it will, again, not just the what, but the how. And as Professor, uh, as uh, Paul has pointed out, uh, the issue that we have here is whether or not the implementation will be in rely in line with policy and legislation, or whether it will once again be rhetoric, words spoken, notation, and not followed up by action. And action in this particular environment of triage, where we have to save not just the economy, but the country and the social fabric of the state we live in as a matter of urgency, means there cannot be announcements of plans that will be implemented in 2025. Angela, we need specific yes. intervention in the short term, right now, right here, this year. Angela Fick, thanks for that, Director of Research Asri. Angela, I know you have to go off and uh, appear under the bright lights in another <laughs> interview, but uh, thanks for joining us at, at Voice of the Cape. Thank you so much. And uh, we carry on interview with Dr. Paul Kariuki, who is faithfully uh, standing by to carry on our conversation about uh, uh, post-SONA. Dr. Kariuki, what do you think about um, the mention of the ESCOM Social Compact and the President talking about easing things up even further in terms of empowering and enabling alternative energy suppliers? <laughs> again, it's not nothing new. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we had that again in last year's uh, sauna. It was almost cut uh, and paste. Yes. We, 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 and we haven't seen much of that change happening. In fact, what we have seen much of it is more times in darkness. That <laughs> one we have seen a lot of that. We have, yes. And so, and so, so what, what still remains again on that one is, 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 is the how, how to go about it. And at the same time also, uh, again to see action about fixing the loopholes and the issues that made us to arrive to the fifth place in the first place. So we haven't fixed financial management processes of the entire uh, uh, entity. We continue to hear stories of, you know, uh, maladministration, and those who have been who are involved or implicated, allegedly implicated in this in the matters, have not been held accountable. So it also begs one to think that maybe this is just another rhetoric for us to ease as a citizen and to ease ourselves that somebody is thinking about it. But um, I'm, I can assure you right now, the public is tired of hearing that. So long, especially uh, if every other second day people are in darkness, it is very hard to talk about how we're going to ensure that we have uh, continuous lighting and, 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 and give investors confidence that it's worth to invest in an economy like ours with assurance that there's energy security. All that talk is good talk, but it only remains a talk until there is tangible change on the ground that both ordinary citizens and private sector investors will feel confident to invest 
to stimulate the growth that is being spoken about and create jobs. So as long as we remain an energy insecure country, that all, that will always remain a pipe dream. And that's where our concerns are. I believe majority of citizens will agree with me on that. Until we see some serious uh, turnaround in terms of uh, um, uh, SOE's governance in general and also ESCOM in particular, we are not going to have uh, lights continuously in our homes and in our offices and everywhere else until those gaps are fixed. What lacked is exactly the how of holding those accountable who have been held allegedly that they were involved in the massive looting of the ASCOM. They are still around. They haven't, nothing has happened to them yet in terms of being held accountable, and that remains a big, serious worry. So if you put that story of making us an energy-secure country in that context, then you don't see any much hope. And I think this is where, again, where um, um, government to be held seriously accountable by citizens over time. And time is running out. Uh, this is an election year. Um, it's, it's very imperative that the majority of the citizens want to feel that this government does really care for them. And it's not just providing vaccine and things like that. It's making sure they've got access to basic public goods. Lighting and energy is one of them. And if that doesn't happen so quickly, the, the levels of desperation will continue, and that definitely will affect the way they interpret the ability of this government to deliver on its constitutional mandate to them. And of course, uh, we joined in the special post-sona edition of Drive Time by Dr. Jason Musyoka from Pretoria University. Dr. Musyoka, welcome. Thank you so much, Shafiq, for having me again. Yeah, no rest for the wicked, we seem. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Indeed. Um, I'm going to sort of... Uh, give you a fast ball right off the bat immediately. Um, The president spoke about sector master plans and he announced to the country that we now have one million more chickens every week. And a lot of media houses pounced on it as if that was going to be the headline news for Sona. I hope it's not. Um, On a more serious note, what do you make of the idea of sector master plans? Dr. Kariuki and Angela Fick before him have said, yes, um, lots of substance in the Sona address, but we have to see performance. We have to see physical delivery of everything it's spoken about. So, Shafiq, I Solve. The first thing is that um, the president did recognize the need to lift the moods of the country. So he started with a very inspirational note, perhaps before he got into the substance of the of his speech. And then he went on <clears throat> to address uh, three key issues, which he outlined again right at the beginning. One, he spoke about the pandemic, and secondly, uh, the recover, economic recovery plan. And the third uh, aspect that he addressed to at length is a question of uh, uh, public sector reform. So I think that uh, from, from, the, from the sector reform and the recovery plan, the recovery plan in particular, he did indicate that he did not want to make more promises. He rather intended to report on the progress. And that's where the chicken uh, uh, production, local production, uh, increase of chicken uh, came in. Now, he talked about infrastructure and so forth and so on, which he was reporting as part of the progress uh, from the um, recovery uh, plan, which he promised uh, four months ago. I think the problem that we are facing here, firstly, is that there are no, I haven't seen much uh, uh, figures or data as far as the progress 
of the recovery plan is concerned. And of course, nobody would ever believe that uh, the production of chicken is going to be the turnaround of our economy. I think that's a weak uh, point, perhaps, on that. We, we have much bigger challenges than we seem to uh, try and address. The question of uh, sector reforms, I think the master plans, I would support that. Um, but I'm also wary of the fact that we are never short of uh, plans and policies in South Africa. And I think that's one of the key uh, weaknesses of the subsequent administration since 1994. On paper, the documentation is there, uh, but on the implementation, as we spoke earlier, the state somehow, or the, the inefficiency of the state to deliver on the promises made to the uh, citizens, it, it still that is, everything still boils down to the inefficiency of the state to deliver. So I think that uh, on paper, that's a good promise to have uh, master plans for the various sectors, and especially the key sectors that uh, shape our economy. But again, the core is on how do we implement. I'll give you an example of the Industrial mm-hmm. Policy Action Plan. I mean, we've had uh, subsequent uh, um, iterations of the IPAP uh, uh, series, as, as it's called, and that's driven largely by the Department of Trade and Industry. And on paper, it looks very good. It talks about industrializing um, various other sectors and making sure that the youth are brought on board, that we have black industrialists. So on paper, it looks really good. But unfortunately, if you look at just the manufacturing sector, even in the face of the Industrial Policy Action Plan, the manufacturing sector has shrunk by half since 1994. So we have really been talking east while we are moving towards the west. And that, for me, is the challenge, the disconnect between policy and how we roll it out to the ground so that it has material impact on the livelihoods of South Africans. Dr. Kariuki, uh, do you think that uh, the President's announcement, and this is not a new announcement, but he brought it into Sona, that Ford Motor Company was going to invest $16 billion, um, in South Africa to build, I think, the Ranger Bucky, and then he mentioned that Toyota was also still on board, and then he sort of sub-headlined by saying that Ford's investment will create a growth of, f- of further smaller businesses um, under the whole BEE's framework. Is this something concrete in the um, in, in Sona? Is this something we can grab onto as an actual achievement? Well, I, I, I'd, I'd like to be positive, but I will not be. <laughs> and I agree with right. Dr. Jason's uh, comments there. On paper, it looks like a very great intent, and there is commitment to make it happen. What, again, we have observed, again, as you say correctly, it's not new. We've had this in the last two. It looks like we've lost uh, uh, Dr. Kariuki online there, but I, I do believe that Dr. Jason Masioka is still with us. So what, what do you make of Ford's $16 billion investment uh, program? I think that's part of the, the large uh, infrastructure projects that are planned in and you know, the capital investment. And that, again, it's, it's, it's a good initiative. Any dollar that we can get, any rent that we can get towards capital investment, um, you know, it is. It goes uh, a long way, but we also need to look at the nature of job that we are looking at. Any time that you look at uh, the high-skilled manufacturing jobs, uh, you you are essentially looking at um, expanding jobs that exist. But also, you really are not mopping up the unemployment, uh, large high level of unemployment that we have. What we perhaps need to hear, and I suppose he did say though that. 
to his credit that he's not going to deal with the details and in the in the months coming uh, in the months ahead we are going to look at uh, implementation programs uh, that that roll out some of the plans that he has uh, delivered or promised so i think that what we need to hear is how do we deal with the question of downstream beneficiation because this is a value chain um, model of development we are talking about here so as much as there are capital investments that are being made we need to be very deliberate on um, ensuring that the the, the 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 feeders into the value chain of the motor industry are actually being uh, produced locally. They are local suppliers, and and I think that's something that um, I'd like to hear perhaps inserted into the debate moving forward around the motor industry development. Dr. Kariuki, I believe we got you back online um, as we head towards our final minutes. I think we can maybe sort of wrap up on on the land issue. The president did mention it. He spoke about um, support for small-scale black farmers, um, the Lanceria um, development as well. I mean, what do you make of the whole land thing? Were there any deliverables there? Well, I would say that still, um, at this point in time, it's still a little bit of a vague uh, idea um, to, to really make a conclusion around uh, its ability to, to bring forth the, the benefits that uh, he did mention. Uh, it has it dragged the entire year, last the whole of last year, and it was, you know, mired with a lot of political rhetoric across different sectors and even uh, among parliamentarians themselves. So again, the devil is in the details. It's what's going to happen now after today because now he has promised to fast track the promise and uh, hopefully he will gain the support of his own comrades within the party to support his idea of fast tracking the, 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 the land exploration and you know um, provide as much as possible land for, for, for emerging black industrialists but at the same time also to support the reform process that will make that transition possible. I think we were, um, as, as a government, we were caught up in the reform process because of the difficult uh, political uh, interests that were in, are still involved in the whole debate. And, uh, if you, uh, and if you really can recall about that, the, the kind of some, at some stage, the process stalled even in parliament. And therefore, so it, all eyes on, on the legislature in terms of fast-tracking the reform process to make sure that it's possible for the president to deliver on his promise today, but also the internal political factions within the ruling party coming to, to, to support his plan. And uh, in between, uh, ensure that the key stakeholders involved in the process of negotiation uh, are actually in support of his plan. From, from, from face value, uh, one would see that there is a true intent um, uh, to make it work. But we know that broader context contravenes the intent. And therefore, that's where I think there will be a, um, that's a space to watch in terms of how does he navigate uh, the difficult political contours within his own political party and with other political parties that also have certain interest vested in this process and 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 the process and how fast the national legislature will fast track the reform process to make it possible to deliver on this promise. 
And as we uh, wind down to our, our last uh, two minutes, uh, Dr. Jason Misorka, um I'll sort of give you um, the opportunity, I don't know whether it's a privilege, um, to you, what is the biggest takeaway from SONA 2021? Anything in it that you think that makes it distinctive from other SONAs we've discussed? I was interested to see that um, the, for the for the better part, if you look at his, the president has now delivered five uh, addresses, uh, including today's, and in almost each one of them, there are new promises made. I should say that I was impressed with the fact that uh, he belabored the fact that he needed to talk about implementation, even though I think that um, four months are are very short to determine serious implementation. But I think there was a focus on what has been implemented, and I think that uh, that for me struck a chord. And um, the the president is a, is a is is a, is a pragmatic, and he's been very moderate politically, uh, avoiding to tow uh, you know tough lines that might kick political dust. So I heard him waging into the issue of land, as Dr. Kariuki has also rightly mentioned. And and that that perhaps does indicate that he, he he is realizing, but he's also running out of time. He needs to do something that uh, changes the economic landscape. So those would be my two points. The one would be the fact that there was a level of implementation reporting, so to speak, and the second one was uh, the fact that I've seen a president who is perhaps moving outside his pragmatic corridors. Um, uh, towing a little bit of uh, sidelines of the politics of land, which he has avoided really for the last four um, speeches that he has made. And on that note, it's uh, time to wrap up our post-SONA edition of uh, Drive Time. Special thanks to Dr. Paul Kariuki, Executive Director, DDP, University of KwaZulu-Natal, Dr. Jason Musorka, University of Pretoria, Angela Fick, who had to go off to other things, Director of Research at ASRI. Gentlemen, we thank you greatly for giving up your time to talk about SONA. Thank you so much, Thank you very much. And on that note, it's time to meet and to greet, and I'm going to sort of wind off with uh, the lines of uh, Maya Angelou. She said, out of the huts of history, shame I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. And let's hope that the country can rise from its current miseries to greater things. Special thanks to the team today, Ibrahim Kangwichubi for production, Foldy Fanalili for technicals, Tasnim Adams and Annika Duplessis on news. From myself, Shafiq Morton from SONA 2021 at Voice of the Cape, special edition of Drive Time. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Have a good Friday. Assalamu alaikum. from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM. Allah <laughs> Allah